James Beatley. Welcome to another episode today. This should be a good one for you. Um, If you didn't already see a few hours ago, I posted on Twitter um, that uh, I was recording an episode and posting it tonight. If you are not following the Twitter, let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Give us a follow on Twitter at WeAreOffTheWreck. That's W-E-A-R-E-O-F-F-T-H-E-R. R-E-C at We Are Off The Wreck. That's where I will post all of the um, website posts, the written posts, as well as all of the um, podcast episodes um, there. And um, So let's just get going on today's episode. If you looked on the Twitter page, you, you know what we're talking about on this episode. We're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about the Final Four for the women's side of March Madness um, and then get deep into the new overtime rules that the NFL have come out with um, this afternoon. So first, let's just go ahead and get into it. I think, on the, uh, obviously, the men's side, there's going to be hell of um, a Final Four tournament this weekend. Um, but I think if you look on the woman's side, I think the matchups might be the as intriguing or uh, if not more intriguing than the men's. Obviously on the men's you have Villanova and Kansas, two very big name basketball schools recently. And then you have UNC versus Duke, the first time I think they've met in the tournament ever. And it seems that they always are in a position to where they can meet up, and they never do, and now they're here, and what a way if um, what a way UNC could end Coach K's career um, in North Carolina. That's where I live. Um, how much bragging rights would UNC Tar Heel fans have over Duke for the next century or more? If they say we end it, Coach K's career in the Final Four. So I think they do have very intriguing matchups on the men's side of the bracket. But you look at the women's side of the bracket, um, the Final Four, there's just as stiff as competition. In my opinion, these have been the four best teams all year long. Uh, you have South Carolina playing Louisville. Um, Louisville, they play a pretty hard um, regional setup in Wichita, um, taking on teams like uh, Gonzaga and Tennessee. Tennessee's women's team is pretty good. And then, you know, um, t- 
taking on Michigan uh, to get to the Final Four. And now they have to play South Carolina, which I think is the unanimous number one team in the entire country. Um, what I like about Louisville's team is, and, and I, let me preface this by saying that I am a University of South Carolina fan, but what I like about Louisville's team is they're kind of the underdogs out of all the number one seeds. Um, and they just have this fight about them. Um, their their uh, lead player is um, uh, Haley Van Leaf, and she is a stud, uh, just one of the best college women's college basketball players I think on the on the um, in the game right now um, that's something I'll, I'll get to in a minute I'll rank who I think the top five players are but I think you have a player on each team remaining they're in the top five and so you have the best teams you have uh, Kaylee Van Leith for Louisville um, I think the downside to Louisville is they, I don't think they match South Carolina's depth. So South Carolina, Aaliyah Boston probably, um, if not for Caitlin Clark, would win pl- uh, Player of the Year. But I think Caitlin Clark had a better statistical season. Obviously, it doesn't really matter that Iowa's not meeting up in the Final Four. But um, I think Aaliyah Boston is hands down one of the top players in the in the league, if not the best. Um, and that can just be kind of dependent upon um, where you or who you think is best. It's an opinion-based thing. I have Aaliyah Boston as number two, um, but the best in the paint. The you know one of the best defenders, one of the best offensive players. She had a double double, I think, in twenty-four consecutive games. Um, but South Carolina's depth—they can take Aaliyah Boston out. And fill in with just an outrageous roster. Um, Aaliyah Boston can go out, and you can have Leticia Emma here in, or you can put Camilla Cadoza in, um, and let um, Boston get the rest when she needs it. You have players like Bree Beal and Zaya Cook and Destiny Henderson, Destiny Littleton, that the depth of South Carolina, I think, is what gives them the advantage over Louisville. I don't know if Louisville can match South Carolina in in the Final Four game where you're going to have to give... This might be the most challenging game because it's the game to get you to the championship game. So you're going to give more effort. You're going to put it more on the line than if you're in the championship game you know, that, that's the prize that you're waiting for, but this is the game to get you to that moment. So you have to win this game to get there. Um, I think South Carolina is just the better team overall. Like I said, the depth, I think Don Staley just is uh, overall a better coach. Um, so I think you look at the South Carolina-Louisville matchup, it's not a, a cakewalk, I don't think, per se. If South Carolina comes out um, and plays offensively like they did against Miami, Louisville could be in the game. But if they come out and play offensively the way they did against Creighton or the way they did against 
Howard putting up 80 points a game, um, you have an opportunity for this to be a blowout pretty quick. Because um, I think Louisville is one of those teams. They were put to the limit um, until the very end of that game. I know they won by 12, but it was very close up until the final two minutes of that game against Michigan um, last night. And so Louisville's a good team. I just think overall the their starters are going to have to play a lot more, um, and the and once they have to once they rest, the depth of South Carolina, the bench players of South Carolina, I think overall are better than the bench players of Louisville. I think South Carolina can go deeper into their bench and get better results um, out of their bench than Louisville. Now on the other other side, the other game that's being played, Stanford, one seed Stanford. Last year's champion beating South Carolina and that um, controversial finish, uh, I would say, to say the least. They're playing number two seed UConn, but I think UConn, if Paige Boykers didn't get hurt, may have been the second best team in, in the country. And the way Paige Boykers played against NC State last night, that game won. It went to double overtime, and it was just a, one of the best basketball games, men or women, I've seen in a while. Um, but the way that Paige Boykers was able to just hit clutch shots in double overtime to um, to get them to that point. She had 27 points. She shot 10 of 15, 67% from the field, hit 6 of 7 from the free throw line. Um, and then players like Olivia Nelson-Odota with 7 rebounds, um, and then four assists to go with, to go with it. I think you put Stanford, um, uh, which is a very good team. Don't get me wrong, Stanford. This might be a better matchup than South Carolina Louisville. And I know Louisville's a one seed and UConn's a two seed. But like I said, I think had Paige Boykers not gone down and they lost those two or three games in that span, I think UConn could have taken Louisville's spot as the one seed there. I think Louisville's the the f- fourth overall team in, in the ranking, so the last of the one seeds. Um, and UConn comes in as a two seed, but a very strong two seed, playing their some of their best basketball to date. So I actually I like UConn in this matchup, and. Part of that is because Paige Blakers is back and she's healthy and she's been playing her best basketball at the right time. And um, part of it is, I just I'm not a big. I love Stan, a couple of Stanford's players. Um, per, uh, specifically, um, <clears throat> Cameron Brink. I think she might be. If Aaliyah Boston isn't the best defensive player in the country, I think Cameron Brink would be second or above uh, um, Aaliyah Boston. And that, if you watched the Stanford game like I did on Sunday night, um, Cameron Brink got into foul trouble early, and so she played like five minutes in the first half, and Stanford struggled to stop um, the ball. They, they struggled to stop NC State. Um and once uh, was it? I think it was NC State. No, uh, Stanford played Texas. They were they were it was Texas was about to win that game. I think until the third quarter, 
when Cameron Brink came back in after halftime and had like four blocks and ten points or something like that. It was one of the best third quarters, uh, quarter moments that I've seen out of one single player. And I think it kind of lifted that spark to help Stanford. It, it was not... It was not a runaway game. You know, they won by 10, but again, it was very close until the end there. Um, and Texas put them, put, them, put them up there. But I think UConn, you have the best player in the country, Paige Boykers. You have Gino as the coach. He's just the, the best, probably the best coach in women's college basketball history, um, if not the best, second to Pat Summit. Um, and so I love UConn in this situation. Uh, Stanford's been tested, um, I think, a lot more than what UConn has. I know NC State put them through the ringer double overtime against UConn, but you look at the rest of their games, a blowout win over Indiana, um, a somewhat competitive game against UCF, and then the first-round matchup against Mercer where they beat them by, like, 50 points. So I think UConn has, hasn't has had to struggle as much. You take a look at Stanford. They struggled against Texas, pulled out a nine-point victory. But then they come in and they, sh- they played a tough game against Maryland where they had to pull out a victory. Um, they go they tr- trounced Kansas and then trounced Montana State. But they've played two back-to-back games that were very close until the end. Um, I like UConn in this matchup. So I think the final, the championship game is going to be South Carolina and UConn. Um, and if that's the if that's the case, we'll talk about that game as, um, you know, maybe one of the biggest games. I think South Carolina came in and trounced the hell out of UConn early in the regular season because you got to think South Carolina's played like eleven top twenty five games this year uh, in the regular season alone and so they they're battle ready they're battle tested I think this this is this season goes right to South Carolina they're hungry they want to they want to get revenge for what happened last year against uh, Stanford I kind of want to put Stanford in the title game so that we can finish off the revenge tour but I like UConn's team over Stanford so with that said I think our national title game is South Carolina and Stanford or South Carolina and UConn and South Carolina gets the dub in a very close game and then and on uh, Sunday night. Um, and so, uh, with that said, I think I think I basically said all I needed to say about the women's tournament. Um, the other story I wanted to talk about is the NFL has, um, the owners have agreed to new rules regarding playoff um, over time. Uh, so the controversial ending to the Bills Chiefs game finally comes around. Owners meetings today and they agree to allow in the playoffs to change the overtime rules to allow both teams to have one possession. Um, if both teams score a touchdown and an extra point at, at the end of the first possession, now then it becomes sudden death the next team wins. Um, and so this is controversial, and um, I have a couple, a couple uh, friends. They'll they'll be doing a podcast tomorrow, um, talking partially about this topic. And I had a couple thoughts, and I'm not able to make their podcast. So 
this is kind of why I'm doing this podcast in, in its majority, is to talk about this this context. And I think that if you disagree with this rule, that both teams in the postseason should be allowed to have possession of the ball, I think you don't care at all about the integrity of, of football. Um, and what I mean by that is, not necessarily in the integrity of the game in terms of like, Offense beating the defense, or defense beating the offense, or you know, cheating the cheating the system. But in terms of like creating an atmosphere where, when games go to overtime, that the the game is won on the field. The game is determined. the 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 plays or the way that a game is determined is not determined by some third party such as a coin toss but rather determined by the action on the field. Meaning, you can still have the coin toss, and the coin toss can determine who gets the ball first. Um, but both teams should be able to touch touch the field. And both offenses should be able to have possession of the ball. Both defenses should have the opportunity to stop each offense. And... Um, I, I think the biggest reason I think... This is, it's not necessarily that I'm a Buffalo Bills fan and we lost and we're on the negative end of that because if it had gone the other way and we won the coin toss in overtime and won the game, surely I would have been happy because we would have made it to the AFC title game. But I still think it's not fair because you, you, you take the competition essentially out of the game, right? So it's not it's no longer... Um, the the offense of team A it outperformed the offense of team B in overtime. It's team A won a coin toss and they were able to beat a, a team whose defense is, is reeling and just go down the field, throw one play, throw one ball down the field, score a touchdown and the game is over. I don't think that's necessarily fair. And honestly, I don't think this rule that it's only implicated in the postseason is far enough. I think it should go into the regular season as well. And this is why. So when I talk about the integrity of the game, the point of football is that in four quarters, the team with the most points wins the game. And your point is to win. But I think with the way this overtime system is implemented to where if you're a team, let's say, and you give up a touchdown – um, with a minute left in the game, now you're trailing by three points, and you know all you got to do is get into field goal range to take it to overtime. Uh, I think a lot of times coaches now coach to settle for the tie in the overtime because at the end of the day, you're one coin toss away. Your odds of winning the football game go up astronomically. Compa- um based off a coin toss, you know, because you win the coin toss, now you have 10 minutes and compared to one minute to drive down the field and score the game-winning touchdown. So your odds as a team trailing to just tie it up, go into overtime, hope to God you can win the coin toss, and if you do win the coin toss, you're statistically, you're going to win the football game, I think leads teams into, instead of doing a two-minute drill to win a football game, a lot of teams, I think, now are settling for let's 
just kick the field goal, take it to overtime, and hope to God we win the coin toss. And I think that ruins the integrity of the sport. That it, that ruins the comp- the competitive nature of football. Um, and when I say statistically, the people who win the coin toss um, usually end up winning the game. Like that's that's like statistics that are like proven. And so this was a big point of. Um, of emphasis when the Bills did lose the game. Um, so that there are a lot of articles pointing towards there is some sort of advantage you're getting by winning the coin toss. So since 2012, uh, let's let's just talk, since the rule applies to playoff games, let's just let's just do playoff games. Since 2012 when the, the overtime rules were changed. So if I, if I understood correctly, it used to be before 2012 that... Um, both teams had possession of the football, if I can remember correctly. And um, at, in 2012, they decided, I guess, maybe in a, in a way to make what they thought the game more competitive, they changed the overtime rules to what they are now. But since 2012, there's been 11 playoff games that have gone to overtime. And 10 out of the 11 times that the game has gone to overtime, the team that won the toss won the game. Um, the The only game where, that went to overtime and the team that won the toss didn't win was 2018, I believe it was, the Saints versus the Rams. And that ended in controversial fashion where the team that lost probably should have gotten the ball to win and it could have been 11 out of 11. But let's go even further. Out of the 10 games that... The teams won the toss and won the game. Seven of those ten games in the playoffs were won on the first possession. Meaning seven out of 11 times that a game has gone into overtime, one team did not get a chance at all to win or to have the ball on offense. So what you're saying is the team that wins the coin toss has essentially... A 63 to 64% chance of winning the football game. So going back to my prior point about the integrity of the game, say you're the team trailing. Uh, um, Say you're the team trailing by three, and you have 40 seconds left in the game. You allow a team to score. Now you get the ball back. You have two timeouts. Under, under what I, I believe would help the integrity and the competitiveness of the game, um, the team would go for the win, not for the tie. You're down three, but you can go for the tie, go to overtime. Essentially, I think at that point, 30 seconds, 40 seconds left in the game, you're down by three. Your chances of going 80 yards down the field and winning the football game are probably, I'd say, 20% or less. So you go in, you but getting 40 yards to get into field goal range, that's pretty um, pretty reasonable, you would think, to get 40 yards, to kick a, a tying field goal to send it to overtime, to where you, kick a, a, you flip a coin, and now you have a 60-some-odd percent chance, if you win the coin toss, of winning the football game. Your odds dramatically are um, improved by just tying instead of going for the win. 
let's talk about regular season, though, because I think it shows that the statistics aren't just a playoff thing. They've been 163 overtime games in since 2012 in the NFL. 86 times out of 163 has the team who won the toss won the game. So about 53 times. So so you have somewhere between a 53 and 64% chance of winning the football game. Statistically, if you win the coin toss. I think um, the mindset that I have at this is if you you got to change the rule, and I'm glad that they started at this point here for the playoffs because now it evens the playing field. Now maybe the mindset of your coach is um, – and granted, I think the Bills and um, Chiefs game is kind of an anomaly because – I mean, they had to, they had 13 seconds. The Bills should have won that game. They had a defensive breakdown. So I can't really blame the Chiefs for kicking a game-winning field goal. You had like four seconds on the clock and one of the best kickers in the game, and you're, you're trying not to lose at that point. And throwing a Hail Mary, though you have Patrick Mahomes, is that's a big risk. So you in the playoffs, you got to play to win, not play to tie or play to lose. Um, so I think that game is a anomaly, but – for the the you know other games that are not in that instance where I think there is a mindset now that hey let's win or let's not go for the win here at this point there's a minute and a half left in the game we're down by three we got two timeouts let's just run our offense and if we have to kick a field goal to go to overtime then so be it we win the coin toss we're probably going to win the game I think that's now the mindset if we change it to this new system, which I don't think goes far enough, but is a good starting point. I think it can it flips the mindset of the coach. Now you have two timeouts, a minute and a half. You're down three, and you you have to think: Can my defense stop their offense? Because even if you won the coin toss and you know your offense can beat their defense, can your defense stop their offense? Because Both teams have to touch the ball. Both teams have a chance to score a touchdown. And so now I think your mindset changes. If you know your offense can beat their defense, you have a minute and a half and two timeouts. Instead of saying, you know what, let's play for the tie and go to overtime so we can pray to, pray to the Lord above that we win the coin toss. Let's, let's just win the game. Let's run our offense. We have two timeouts. Um, let's get a couple – uh, receptions, let time run off the clock, and then use the, use our two timeouts and go in the football game in regulation instead of this mindset of the statistically us getting down the field in a minute or a minute and a half is is improbable, um, statistically unlikely. You take you take a look at the average possession of drives. Um, at, I'm not 100% sure of the statistic. I can look it up, but I'm sure to know that the average possession of scoring drives is probably longer than a minute and a half. I'm willing to put a lot of money on that statistic. Um, it's probably closer to three to four minutes. And so you know, hey, if we can get down in um, field goal range, 
you know, to take some time off the clock, kick a tying field goal to take it to overtime. Now we can run our four-minute game-winning drive if we win the coin toss. If you change this concept to, hey, you know what? I don't know if our offense is capable of or our defense, I'm sorry. I don't know if our defense is capable of stopping their offense. This is a, you know, a very good offense. Let's just go ahead and win the game in regulation because we know our offense can beat their defense at this point. I, I think that's where I get that's where I'm at with the integrity of the game is it's no longer competitive when you have a third party come in and you have a player with the talent of Josh Allen who put on probably one of the greatest playoff performances in NFL history that game. Just the ice in his veins to be able to score three touchdowns in like the last three minutes of the game and it come down to the Chiefs winning a damn coin toss as the catalyst for the Bills being kicked out of the playoffs in the second round is asinine in my opinion. And it's not just because I'm a Bills fan and it's not just because it's my team that lost. It's just it's asinine. I think it was asinine when Tom Brady did it to the Chiefs in 2018. I think it's asinine any time an overtime game is finished and that both teams does do not get an opportunity. And let's take a look at the like I I don't I can't think of any other sport that I am aware of and fond of that allows sudden death on the immediacy of overtime. And what I mean by that is you take a look at basketball. Uh, when they if they have a game tied at the end of four quarters in basketball, they don't go to a well whoever um, gets the jump ball and shoots the basket first um, gets the first basket wins. They play a whole overtime period and whoever ha- wins at the end of the overtime period wins the game. It's not first basket wins. You take a look at like hockey. So overtime, obviously it's the first person to score in overtime in hockey, but let's say it gets to a shootout. They don't go and say whoever shoots first in the shootout. I think it's the away team shoots first because the home team always gets the last shot to win. I believe that's hockey rules. Um, If the first person to score a goal in the shootout wins, no, it's always been best of three in the shootout and if it if it gets past the best of three then uh, let's like let's say it's tied one one after three rounds in the shootout the away team goes and scores the away team doesn't just win sudden death the home team still gets an opportunity to put it in the net and continue overtime <clears throat> I think that's my problem there is There's no competitive. Yeah, the Bills could have stopped the Chiefs' offense and got the ball and kicked the field goal and won the game or whatever in overtime. But the I think the Chiefs, the Chiefs' defense should should have to prove that they can stop the Bills' offense, even if the Bills' defense can't stop the Chiefs' offense. I think both defenses should have to prove that they can stop a team's offense. Either way, like you take a look at soccer. Um, when they play and games go into extra time, um, like uh, usually they're like playoff games or games that matter for like 
World Cup positioning or whatnot. It's they don't just go. Um, the ninety minutes is over, and then first person to score wins. They play a whole overtime period, which is two like fifteen minute halves in overtime, and then if it's still tied after two fifteen minute halves, then they go to penalty kicks, which are again best of three. And then you go to baseball. If you go to extra innings in baseball, let's say it's the top of the 10th inning and the away team hits a home run, now they're up one run. Well, the game isn't over at that point. You still have the bottom of the 10th where the home team has the opportunity to counter. That's my thing. It's in football up until this point in, in the playoffs, big serious moments should not be determined by third parties such as a coin toss or a referee or, you know, something like that. It should be the players on the field determining who the, who's the best and who's the worst. You know, who's better than the other. Um, and I've mentioned a couple times already um, during my dialogue here that I think they don't, they haven't gone far enough. This is honestly my solution. So what they have right now in the postseason, which is both teams get the ball, if both teams score, then it's sudden death. I would run that in the regular season. And then in the postseason, I'm running it kind of like college overtime rules where you're going until a defense can make a damn stop. You know, I I think the, the best resemblance of that is that LSU versus Texas A&M game where the winning team won by like three points and it was like seven overtime, 75 to 72. That's what you should do in the playoffs. Because, I, you know, so you give them three possessions. You score, score, you score, kick an extra point. They score, score an extra point three times. And then once you get to the fourth overtime session, now you can't kick extra points. You got to go for two. Um, I love that method of overtime because it, it, it shows if, if the offense can beat the defense and if the defense can beat the offense. And that should be what determines who the best team is in the playoffs. Um, either that, or you go to what the USFL is going to run in overtime, which is a basically a shootout um, from the two-yard line, best of three, see if the defense can make a stop. You know, you need, I think the, the competitiveness of the game, the integrity of, it, of its competitiveness is, is at risk. When you, when you don't have an overtime that allows both teams both both teams' offenses and both teams' defenses to touch the field. You, you turn it into a, a, just an entertainment source and not a, a competitive game. Um, I think that's my biggest problem with the rule as it was. Um, and so I'm happy they're taking this first step to make it something that is going to take place in the postseason hopefully they expand it maybe next season or a couple seasons down the line to where the overtime rules for the regular season change also and like I said I think the way that they set up the postseason if they take if, if that takes place in the regular season these regular season games now have more meaning right because you have teams where like they literally will settle for overtime 
just so that they can have an opportunity on a 50-50 chance to win a coin toss. And then if they can win the coin toss, they have like a 70% chance they're going to win the football game. And uh, 90% chance that they're going to win the football game if they if they have the first possession. And that's, in my opinion, excuse my language, bullshit. It's such bullshit that both teams as of now in the regular season, cannot have a chance to possess the football in overtime. And I'll be and I, I'll be willing to debate this until I'm red in the face. Um, this isn't just a Buffalo Bills issue. This is an integrity of the game of football issue. Um, and so I guess that's all I got to say. Because, you know, at this point I'm just beating the dead horse. Um, and so... Yeah, um, let me let me, let me know what you guys think about the new overtime rules. Let me know what you think about women's basketball, um, the Final Four for both men's and women's. Um, who do you think wins each side of the tournament? Make sure you follow me on uh, follow the podcast on Twitter at We Are Off the Rec. You can follow my personal Twitter at B F L O James. It stands for Buffalo James. B F L O James. Um, other than that, I got nothing left for you. Uh, make sure to check out the website, weareoffthereck.wordpress.com. Um, a article will be posted in the next day or so, kind of giving an in-depth look at the women's Final Four. Um, so that's something that I've been working on right now. I got two posts up there, one about... Um, uh, it's called I Stand with Bubba. I'm talking about Bubba Wallace and the documentary he had on Netflix. And the second one is just kind of a, a clickbait article, I guess, about why I'm not excited for WrestleMania coming up this Sunday. So go ahead and give those a check out um, on the website, weareoffthereck.wordpress.com. Coming soon to the website. Hoping to have a, a link that sends you to a, my merch page, and that way you can support me that way. Um, but other than that, ways you can support would be the follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple, um, Anchor, anywhere else you can listen to the podcast, and follow the Twitter page at We Are Off the Wreck. I'm James Beatley. I'm your host. Hope y'all have a, a good rest of your week, and uh, I'll talk to you next time.